So this is the thanks I get for working overtime. Overtime! You think you know me. Live from the White Call Hard Seltzer Studios, it's overtime with William Patterson, Dawson Wise, and Jace Brown back from the blizzard here on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, uh, guys, we both all or all were able to make it today despite the conditions outside, the ice and the snow, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a little bit of a wintry mix tonight. <laughs> uh, Knoxville's getting it all, um, but uh, I, look, for Memphis, I've never really had a consistent snow before and this is the most snow i've ever seen so i've enjoyed it for the most part on monday when it was snowing it was awesome and then tuesday i was like okay it's still cool yesterday i was like all right i'm kind of ready for this to be gone and uh <laughs> it looks like it'll be here for a little bit more um so i guess we're just gonna have to uh, work around it all right uh later on in today's hour we got the cowboys collapsing at home to the packers our best bets and more but we begin today's episode with the Vols roping up the Gators at home on Tuesday. The fifth-ranked Vols handle the Florida Gators at home 85-66 to to improve to 3-1 and in conference play. Dawn Connect stole the show with a career-high 39 points and 8 rebounds. Man, was he special. And the Vols held the Florida Gators under 70 points for the first time this season and held them to just 29.4% from the field. Um, so, guys, what was your biggest takeaway from the Vols' dominant win? I've got three, keeping it on the pattern. Uh, the first is, and we're going to talk more about him later, so I'll keep it short, is Dalton Connect. Uh, what a huge game for him. He's back, I think, now, right? I mean, back-to-back incredible performances, now one at home as well. Uh, with his 39 points, he just looks so comfortable to me, uh, shooting the ball, running the offense, um, so he looks to be back. Defensive resurgence, what a defensive effort by the Vols. Mm-hmm. If you look at some of the shooting numbers for Florida, I mean, like two for 11, six for 18. Their leading scorer shot six for 18 in the game. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can hold somebody to that, that's a success as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, your your forwards also combined for only 15 for Florida. So maybe some inside help as well um, on the defensive end. Um, and then finally, I think we've got a step forward in the depth down low. I looked, liked what I see from Adu. I like what I see from Awaka. Could have used a little bit more points from him, but grabbed eight boards. And uh, J.P. Estrella gets in the game and gets seven points in nine minutes, which is impressive. I want to see more of him. I don't know how many people do, but I do. Uh, I think he's a quality piece for the Vols, and I think he can give them some good depth down low. Yeah, definitely. Estrella finally being back in action. It feels like it's been weeks since we've seen him in play. I think this might be 
if not his first action in SEC play. So really good to see him back here. Uh, my big takeaway, you've already hit on him, Jonas Adu. Uh, kind of feels like he's starting to get back on track after a lackluster performance out in Starkville. I mean, he had 19-9 and on Tuesday, had a decent game at Georgia, had 10 points, 15 boards, and uh, really feels like he's starting to round out on the offensive side, becoming more of a threat for that part of the uh, part of the floor since he's always just been good on defense. Kind of good to see him start matching that. Yeah, so my biggest takeaway was defense, especially coming off a game against Georgia where you allow Georgia to hit, what, 14 threes? A very uncharacteristic for a Tennessee team that's done a really good job defending the perimeter this season. And I think they really settled in at home and settled in against a Florida team that we've seen shoot the ball well a couple times this season. They had a really big win against Arkansas over the weekend. And they really settled in at home. 29.4%. Holding any team to that is incredible, let alone a team that just put up 96 points against Arkansas the following weekend. So um, I I think defense was a big takeaway. Uh, Dawn Connect, how special he was. Um, I I think he had like a – I think he scored like 20 points in a row to end in the first half, I think if that was right. Something like that. Um, Which is (laughs) ridiculous in itself. Um, And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about his performance here in a minute. But – um, I think it was an all-around good win, a good bounce-back win. Even though you beat Georgia, that was not the cleanest of games. And, uh, you know, it kind of took a fire drill there at the end to beat the Bulldogs. And I think this was a, a start-to-finish, really good performance from a Tennessee team that we've kind of been – we've known about and know we could see all season long, and that was their performance on Tuesday. So um, let's talk a little bit more about Don Connect and how special he was. Uh, your favorite part of Connect's career night. Watching him heave spot up threes, just like walk <laughs> yeah. up the court like Steph Curry esque and just heave up a three. Yeah. Um, and just the takeover ability that he has. Uh, he can take over a game. You, you said 20 points to end a half is, you read that stat and you're like, really? I yeah. Mean, yeah. Um, but it, the offense goes so much better when he's going. But man, watching him just be able to heave up a three, be able to just drive in and just yam on someone, just yeah. basically by command, uh, is incredible. He just continues to be incredible to watch. Yeah, yeah absolutely. One, one thing that I know for sure was uh in the first half he shot nine of ten from the field so i mean if you're shooting 90 percent in that first half especially against like a florida team that has been known to put up points as they have all year but of course that defense stopped them really nice cushion uh gives the rest of the team confidence everybody kind of leaning on you at, leaning on you at that point uh and connect just ran with it just just wonderful wonderful performance uh especially as we're now getting into the thick of it with sec play yeah, I think my favorite part was his finishing at, at the rim, and mm. obviously he's had a couple really big dunks this year that you know make Sports Center and stuff like that. But I think he really s- displayed on Saturday his consistency and able to finish at the rim because um, obviously we know his ability to you know shoot off the dribble and, and hit a you know spot up three. But he had a couple times where he was taking it on uh, you know four to six six eleven uh, uh, defender and what, what the, the seven two guy from uh, Finland, whatever he was from, but he was able. <laughs> to take it in on both those guys and finish well at the cup so I thought that was really impressive and um I think the funniest part of it all was uh towards the end of the game when he knows he's a point away from 40 and uh they kept kept on giving him the ball trying to get one more point in there and um he was kind of you know jacking up some threes just trying to see one go through the rim I thought that was the funniest part of it all um but uh, great performance from him and uh, Dawson you touched on it a minute ago you know uh, last week we were talking about hey is Don Connect gonna get things going again and we've seen over these last three games he's been incredible probably one of the best three game stretches any Tennessee volunteer has had 
Um, because, you know, last week, last Monday, we were talking about how, hey, in the last five games, he's averaging 20 minutes a game on seven points, and that's not the same connect we saw play in UNC. And um, now over the last three three games, he's been great and right back to where we need him to be, uh, a closer and a consistent offensive threat. And that's something this team has kind of missed over the last couple of years. Always have been able to get it done defensively, have some pieces that can make a big play or big bucket, but not as consistently as Connect has. And, man, was he special on Tuesday night. So a lot of good from the game. But our job is to be critical and, and you know talk about some things that might not be the most uplifting, and that's Josiah Jordan-James and Santiago Vescovi, two guys, two seniors uh, that have been here for five years, been here for a long time, uh, know how to play in these games. I mean, this is not their first go-round, right? These guys uh, should be having big games and big impacts, and they haven't. Uh, they combined for five points on two of eight shooting on Tuesday night, and I know you may you, you can say, well, look, well, Don Connect was just, you know, taken over, you got to let the hot hand go. But at the same time, you know, two of eight shooting, that's not great, and five points is kind of not really any production. Um, how can they get more involved in this offense? I just – I'm getting to the point where I almost don't know. I mean, it, it, they're still doing what we know that they're able to do, and it, it's just not working. Um, I think it's going to help that Connect and Ziegler and Adu are all trending back up. I think that's going to allow them to have some open chances. You're going to have to respect our first three. Maybe those two guys start to get open a little bit more, but – I think it's similar to what I was saying with, with Connect. It's just keep shooting the ball. I don't I don't really think there's a way out of it other than to just keep doing what you know works um, and maybe run some plays around those guys. Just try to get them their confidence back. Uh, we've seen it happen with Adu this year. We've seen it happen with Connect this year. I think we can still see it happen with those guys, but you have to have them at a high confidence level. If you don't, they're not going to be that veteran presence, which no. you need them to be when we get into March. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of in that same boat. It's I'm kind of teetering on maybe – they're going to just fully accept that they are sort of a back seat right now for this team with Connect starting to get <clears throat> excuse me get back to his early season form. I mean, Vescovi these last couple years, he's been like the runaround guy, make movement happen, get guys open, give everybody opportunities including himself and he's been doing that pretty well. Just hasn't been taking these open shot opportunities that we would we've been used to seeing him take these last couple years. There's several times during that Georgia game where we'll see him pump fake and then pass it off to a worse shot selection um and i mean james he's been fairly reliable early this season but he's starting to hit a little bit of a rut i mean this is five straight games in single digits for uh the middleman it feels like for this offense so if he can just start hitting those mid-range jumpers like he has yeah. his entire career here maybe we'll see a little turnaround but as for now i'm not certain when we're going to see that turnaround? Yeah, those mid-range jumpers uh, for Josiah Jordan-James is something I think he needs to just kind of hone in on and focus mm -hmm. on because especially if you play a team that's going to uh, play a zone or, or play, uh, you know, uh, put their best guy and put their focus on connect and some of your other scores around the perimeter, then that – you know that that mid-range game, especially right at the free throw line, the nail uh, is kind of no man's land. And if Josiah can just you know get some shots there, some opportunities, some looks, um, whether it be a jump shot, pump fake, drive in, I think that's a good way to get him in rhythm and a good spot for him as well. Um, now, sir, for Vescovy, it, it, it almost seems like he just doesn't have the confidence or doesn't know where he fits on a team with another guy that's putting up a lot of shots. And he honestly just looks lost out there. And, you know, Vescovy returning was a big piece. And he's been here forever, has been in so many moments that have been key for Tennessee over the last couple of years. And you can't have a guy like that disappear. 
just because you add a guy in connect that can score at, ho- at a high volume and a very good volume as well, um, you know, you can't disappear. And Vescovy, in my in my opinion, has kind of disappeared and doesn't really know where he fits in this offense. And, you know, that was one of the things I was trying to figure out about Ziegler early on in the year. Coming back from injury, uh, a couple of new pieces, where do you fit in after last year kind of having to be the main ball handler and, and one of the scorers as well? He's adjusted, and we've seen over the last six games he's been great. Vescovy, I cannot say the same, and he really hasn't had any rhythm at all this year outside of the Illinois game where he was able to make a couple of shots in that one. So uh, for Vescovy, if you're going to play on the wing as a three-point shot or as a three-point shooter, you've got to shoot those shots when you get it. It, it kind of feels like he gets it and cramps up a little bit, doesn't mm-hmm. know if he's supposed to shoot it, shoot it, should shoot it. Um, he's got to play with confidence. So uh, for Josiah, taking those mid-range shots, and for Santiago Vescovy, taking the shots and having some confidence. Um, let's head to the phones, 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in. Let's get Joshy Boy on the line. What's up, Joshy? What's up, guys? How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. William, uh, I'm going to give you and you guys a few of my best bets today. Is that okay? Yeah, go right ahead. All right, we're going to head to NHL first. I like uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Calgary Flames over six and a half goals. Okay. The first one. And uh, we're going to head to college basketball. I like Old Dominion tonight against Marshall, ODU Moneyline. Okay. And... uh. I like Cal minus one and a half against Washington. Yeah, that's a sharp Those are line. My two college um, basketball plays. Yeah, sharp line right there. I like that Cal play. So I got uh, the over six and a half in the Maple Leafs game, uh, Old Dominion money line, and Cal minus one and a half. Yes. All right. Well, I appreciate that, Josh. Uh, I know you had a good night last night. Hope to continue that tonight. Yeah, same with you. Thank you. Yeah, I want to talk about uh, Tennessee basketball. So. Do you guys expect, like, a better crowd Saturday from uh, this Wednesday's game? you think it'll be a better crowd? Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I mean, obviously the roads are not in the most pristine condition, but I think they're better than they were on Tuesday. And um, Saturday midday is a little bit different than a game that starts at 5. you got to drive home in the, in the dark. Um, and this is a big game. I mean, Alabama, Florida's a big game too, just because of the rivalry. But Alabama's a team that's had a lot of success over the past couple of years. Um, you know, well coached by Nate Oates, got some really good players like Grant Nelson. Um, and I expect Tennessee to be uh, the Tennessee crowd to be in full force. Um, and, and the students have come back in town as well with classes supposed to start on Monday. So I'd, I'd expect a good crowd. Yeah. So, uh, I kind of I locked in a bet the other night. I thought it was really good value, uh-huh. even even though it probably won't hit. I locked in Dalton Connect at twenty eight to one to win uh, the John Wooden Award. What do you guys think about that bet? Yeah, you know it's 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 great value. Um, it, it's funny you asked that, Josh. You had a guy ask me that at the Tennessee game on Tuesday. Um, I think he's more likely to win SEC Player of the Year. Um, yeah, because the Wooden Award is a little bit political. You kind of already know who they might side with, like a Zach Eady right. or a Hunter Dickinson. Mm-hmm. You can, they kind of already have their their preconceived notions. But uh, connect with the way he's been playing could very well break those preconceived notions. But um, yeah, I mean that's great value. You know, I I, I can't I can't disagree there. I think he's more likely to win the SEC Player of the Year though, if I had to pick. 
Yeah. So, uh, is it pretty much a done deal that uh, Zal and Turd is going to be evolved? Yes. Uh, it's it's pretty set in stone now. He has not made an official announcement, but from the people I know and what I've been told, um, this has been a done deal for about a week now. Um, it's it's He's already confirmed to the staff that he is coming, um, but he has just yet to uh, announce it yet, and that might be because he's working – uh, with someone on a graphic or something like that. I don't know what the specifics are behind right. the not announcing yet, but everyone that I know and trust uh, have told me that he has been um, locked in for about a week now. Yeah. And I heard you guys talking about Estrella. I think from Tuesday's game, I think he should get more playing minutes because he gives you like a lot of energy and very, very good minutes too. Yeah, I agree. I think um, anytime you can get some some fresh legs involved with Estrella, I think you know put them in, especially with how thin uh, the Vols are at that center position. Anytime you can add some length and size, I think it's a great reliever for Adu um, and, and Awaka as well. So it, it, look, if he's able to uh, get more minutes as the season goes on, come March, that's a rotational piece that you need. So uh, the more you can get him involved, uh, I, I think the better. Yeah. And uh, what do you guys think about Jordan Ganey? Do you think he will shoot out of his shooting slump, or do you think that's going to be there all season? Because I, I really hope he uh, gets hot from three again, like he did against Wisconsin. I'll tell you what, Joshy. I, I don't. I don't know how many times you've you've heard me talking about Jordan Ganey, but I I was also one that said he would shoot out of the slump and that he should shoot out of the slump, and he just has yet to do it. Um, just yeah, it continues to have the struggle, and so now you know I don't know I don't know how many times I can say well he's just got to shoot out of it. he's just got to shoot out of it before I'm not even I'm not even sure if he'll be able to. Yeah, and I think one thing that I guess to sort of lean on a positive outlook on it, I mean. He's a veteran guy. Like he's he's a graduate transfer in there. Uh, you know he he's been there. He's walked the walk. It's just I feel like it's still unfortunately though it keeps pushing back the timeline for it. It is just a matter of time. But I mean we're gonna start really needing to see that turnaround quickly because uh, the road doesn't get any easier from here on out. Yeah, and I, I think yeah. I think Ganey has showed that he has a lot of confidence still. Every time he gets in the game, he's not afraid to shoot it. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes people may. Uh, kind of grieve at that and, and not like it, but I think it shows a guy that still has confidence in his shot and in himself, and I think that is half the battle when you're a shooter. Uh, we just talked about Vescovy not having much confidence. Um, look, take the shot if it's a, if it's a, if it's a good one. Um, yeah. If you're not taking it, you know you're not getting the opportunity to make an impact. So I, I don't mind him shooting. He's just got to get back in rhythm. Yeah, and uh, guys, out the door was that a Philly? I saw boats flooding at Tennessee Rivers. See ya. <laughs> Uh, we will have to check in on that. Let's head to the phones one more time. We got Patrick on the line. What's up, Patrick? Oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Kalen DeBoer, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Patrick, did you bring? Uh, did you bring all the snow from the North Pole to Knoxville? <laughs> hey, if if I if I lived in Knoxville, I would claim it, but. 
um, I'm in Atlanta, so I don't get to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, like I did when I was a child or, or even a teenager or a young adult. Yeah. I feel uh, but you. my parents are stuck in it. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, we were, we were, you know, we talked about it when we opened. It is, it is still out and about. It was minus five or negative five degrees the other night. I've never been in negative degree weather, but, um, uh, I guess uh, I guess it's a late present from Santa, a late winter Christmas or uh, white Christmas, I should say. And it seems that that this devote man, they've got <laughs> the portal is not kind uh, to to Kalen, and I have a, I'm sure everyone does, but I have a number of of uh, you know friends that I've known for most of my life who are Alabama fans and mm-hmm. man, they were, they were talking up DeBoer until this trans transfer portal fiasco. Uh, and, um, they're very quiet on this, uh, defensive coordinator. Um, I, I just, I said it when they made the hire, uh, I'll say it again. He would not have been my first choice. He's a guy who has a good resume. He's won where he's been, but he's never been to the SEC. And it is the toughest conference in the NCAA by a mile. Yeah. Um, yeah, DeBoer was not my first option as well, and that was something we talked about when it first came out. Dan Lanning was my home run hire. I think he's a guy that's uh, young, knows the game, understands the portal in NIL, and has had a lot of success with Oregon. You know, after Cristobal got up and left, and they didn't even skip a beat. You know, they were very well could have played right. in the college football playoff this year if a couple different plays go different ways in that Pac-12 championship game. Uh, and on the road in Washington earlier this season, they were right on right on par with uh, the, the the standard at Oregon. And my thing with DeBoer is he's had success at every play, place he's been. He's got a hundred two and uh, twelve, hundred four and twelve record as a coach. Twenty five and three at Washington. You know, had him in the Pac twelve championship, won it. Had him in the playoff, won a game. Um, he's he's had success, and he's done it through the portal as well, bringing in a guy like Michael Penix and Dylan Johnson at, at running back as well. He's he's shown that he can be a product of the new age of college football, but his recruiting numbers were not good at, at Washington, and that was one of my backdraws about it. You know, uh, 29th, right. 29th, and 53rd ranked classes. Now, obviously, a little bit tougher to recruit to Washington than Alabama, um, but, yeah, the portal – is hitting them hard right now because you know a lot of these guys commit to play for Nick Saban, and when they have right. when they were when they commit to him and they're in those meetings with the family, the family saying we want you to coach our son, and when that and and when he leaves, that opens up a, a really big gap because a lot of these kids come to Alabama to play for Nick Saban and play for the best coach of all time. Um, so now DeBoer. Is miss is you know going to lose a guy like Proctor, their best offensive lineman, uh, Caleb Downs? I think is a huge, huge miss for Massive. them um, yep. because right. that guy's going to be in the NFL and a, a top ten pick here in two years. Um, and you know it's just it's the way college football has moved to, and uh, I, I really think it's out of DeBoer's control because these guys simply just wanted to play for Saban. But yeah, it's yep. it's kicking them in the rear end. So. So let's go to basketball. The uh, Dalton Connect, he's back. Yes. And bigger bigger than ever. Yeah. And, you know, there's this discussion about 
Vesco and Triple J and and how they fit in and you know what I now I do think there is some of that that they're questioning in their own minds. Well, what do we do and how do we uh, how do we complement Connect? Connect is yeah. is probably one of the best basketball players. I've ever seen, and I, I was a I was a young boy going to Stokely, seeing Bernard King yeah. and Ernie Grunfeld, mm-hmm. and for a guy to be able to take it to the rack with his left hand or his right hand, yeah, and you know, but I think that that the the issues with Vesco and Triple J are a bit overblown. Because they are still playing very good defense. Yes. Uh, now, DK doesn't play much defense. No, he but does he, not. He knows he's going to go get it back yeah. on the next <laughs> possession. You know, and so I, I tell you, I did like seeing that uh, Estrella got more minutes, and we also saw Freddie getting more minutes mm-hmm. and seemingly looked more comfortable. I don't think you can keep hoping that that Ganey gets his stroke back because I don't think he does much on defense. No. And now I'm not going to discount that a, a, a caller on a different show a few nights ago brought up that well people want to throw Ganey out and he was instrumental in some of the early season wins. Yes. Hey, that's yeah. true. That's very very true. But even then, people noticed he was slight and couldn't guard or stay with an old you know and, and he's not a he's not a freshman or a sophomore he's just no slight yeah I, I think Ganey's so, I think Ganey's importance is a, a guy to come off the bench and if we're down by you know a, a chunk of points and need a guy that can make a three quickly I think he's kind of your spark plug three-point guy off the bench um, so I think you kind of use him in a situation where, hey, we need some points, need to catch up, uh, throw him in. I, I think if he stays confident and confident in a shot, because he's, I mean, confident as ever. He, it doesn't matter where he is on the court. He gets the ball and sees the rim. He's probably taking it. Um, he's right. not. He's not a good defender, as you said. But I think he's important in a situational spot for Tennessee because you need a three-point shooter. He's probably one of your better ones on your roster. And if he gets hot like we saw him in that Wisconsin game, like we saw him in the exhibition against Michigan State and some of those earlier games that you mentioned, then that's where Tennessee can get back in a game. But, yeah, I don't know if he's a um, a reliable, consistent piece, a rotational piece right now. And what, one last comment. Fade, Joshy boy. You guys have a good night, all right? You as well, Patrick. Talk a little bit about – Nate Oates not getting suspended. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. thank you, Patrick, for calling in. We appreciate it. When we come back, we'll talk about the Cowboys collapse at home to the Packers. Back here in the studio for segment number two of our number one here on Overtime on a wintry mix Thursday night here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, and let's talk about the wintry mix that hit the Cowboys on uh, Sunday afternoon. Good gosh. 
the Cowboys collapse at home to the Packers uh, in an embarrassing fashion, 48-32 to on Sunday. Uh, Jordan Love, 16 of 21, 272 yards, three touchdowns, and just a notch shy from a perfect passer rating. Aaron Jones got it done on the ground as well, 118 yards and three touchdowns. Romeo Dobbs, six receptions, 151 yards and a touchdown. Uh, this Packers offense was incredible. Did not skip a beat. Looked like they cannot be stopped. And the Packers defensively held their own as well. An absolute beatdown in Dallas where the Cowboys had won 16 straight home games. Um, I, I was shocked watching this one. I live with a diehard Cowboys fan. And uh, he was mute for three hours, which is something he is usually not. Um, it is. It was a slow death uh, for the Cowboys. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Jordan Love real quick because he was so special. And uh, I, I think coming into the season, you know, he was the next guy in line to Aaron Rodgers. That's a really big shoes to fill. Um, and when he got drafted there, he was already in a tough situation. He was backing up the Hall of Famer, the face of the franchise, um, you know, fan favorite, and you really didn't hear anything about the guy for three years. Like usually, you know, like this year for us, uh, you know, Joe Milton's starting quarterback, Nico's behind him. You hear everything about Nico. Nico's looking good. Nico should get a chance. You never heard that with Jordan Love and, you know, when he was backing up Aaron Rodgers. And this year, going into the year, is kind of like, well, we'll see what this kid can do. You know, we don't have any other option. Let's see what we can do. And, you know, in the second half of this season, he's been great. Um, over his last nine games, 24 touchdowns to one interception. Incredible stuff. And going on the road in your first playoff start ever, having a performance like he did, you know, 16 of 21, 272, three touchdowns, almost a perfect passer rating. It was it was shocking. And I, I think it showed that, you know, he was ready for this moment because no one ever really gave him a chance. No one really ever had any expectations for him. It was, all right, let's just see what he can do. You know, that's all we got. And and the biggest moments this season, you know, when they were on the fringe of even being in the playoff con- competition, even in in consideration for it, he got it going on in that Thanksgiving game against the Lions. I think was really the kickoff for it, and he got it done on Sunday as well against a top tier defense on the road. I was very impressed. Did Jordan Love submit himself as the Packers quarterback of the future, at least for now? It's trending that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was stunned. I mean, I'd, we talk, how, how long did we talk on this show about the NFL playoffs saying, well, this is going to be easy for Dallas. Yeah. I mean, Green Bay mm. doesn't have the offense to keep up. Their defense no. is not good. Uh, and I I look up at one point, uh, you know, being out of town, I look up at one point, it's 27 nothing Green Bay. Yeah. And, and for him to go out and do that, number one, I think it was it was a direct result of them getting the run game going. Aaron Jones got going early. I think that was huge. It helps him just say, all right, we're in the game. I can relax. My running game is working, so now I can kind of toss it around a little bit and see where it goes. And, boy, did he do that. I yeah. mean, against a great defense, he looked poised. He looks like he's ready to – ready to cement himself. Now, the only thing hanging up for me, I think he definitely cements himself. If you go into San Francisco this week and win, <laughs> then you definitely yeah. – I mean, there's no contest at that point. But I, I think even if you put up a, a good fight, if you put up good offensive numbers, that's another incredible defense that can fly around and take the ball away. If you can go in there and have even a, you know, even a, a shell of that performance, I think you definitely submit yourself as a guy. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of hardly think that he has submitted himself as the guy. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was like top three in passing touchdowns this year, and I mean, he ended this year on that incredible run. I mean, I think they started like three and six, six and two on the way out last eight weeks of the year, and 
find their way into a playoff position and go out and beat, like you said, an incredible defense of the Cowboys. And, I mean, you know, this team is really young. Of course, Jordan Love, a first-year starter, and he's getting these younger guys to rally around him to make and let him make plays. Aaron Jones pops off once again. I mean, he's played he's played Green Bay four times, and every time it's been like two-plus touchdowns. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean – I feel like the streak of top-tier quarterback play in Green Bay is just going to continue with Jordan Love. It, it definitely seems that way. Um, who was the bigger letdown in this one for the Cowboys, uh, offense or defense? Because, as, as you said, coming into this game, and something we harped on all last week, and when I had Jordan in here on Friday, he's a big Cowboys guy too, and we took an even deeper dive into this game. And uh, you know, The Packers came into this one uh, 28th in the league on third down percentage as a defense, you know, allowing teams to convert 44 or 42% of the time, uh, 25th in the league in run defense. You thought there were a lot of different ways the Cowboys could win this one. Um, and they just played a cover too high the whole time, which a lot of times this season the Cowboys have struggled against. But their coverage was so good, they were blanketed every time. They had no one to throw to. Um, and then offensively, uh, for for the Packers, they were able to have their way, um, run the ball down the Cowboys' throat um, many times. Uh, whether it was Stephon Gilmore or Deron Bland, way out of position. There was one of them. I think it was on the the really big touchdown uh, to what, what's their t- what's the Packers' tight end's name? I can't even remember it. I can't either. I um, watched the touchdown. Too. Let, let me remember. see if I can find uh, it. Uh, well, Musgrave. Musgrave. Oh yeah, Musgrave. Yes, I mean, one, yeah. you couldn't even see a oh. Cowboys defender on the damn TV screen. <laughs> he was that open. Yeah. And when you watch the replay, Stephon Gilmore ran like five yards the other way and looks up and realizes Musgrave's on the other side of the field. He ran right into retirement if that's what he chooses. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what was the bigger letdown for the Cowboys in this game? Uh, offense or defense? They were both bad. Defense. Uh, 100% it's defense. Um, you can say what you want about the offense, but, I mean, the offense scored 32 points in this game. The defense, you know, yeah, you have Dak's two interceptions. Certainly don't help the defense. You know, you give them a short field, you give them a touchdown as well. Um, but either way, the defense gave up 34 points, and you're not going to win a lot of games when your defense that is supposed to be – you know this incredible defense that could fly around and make plays and be you know locked down and keep your offense in it. If they're getting up 34 points, your offense is already in a pretty bad spot. Uh, you gave up 415 yards of offense to a Green Bay team that yes, Jordan Love's been good, Aaron Jones has been good, but at home in not, the first round of the not playoffs, that good. No. come on. <laughs> uh, and they only had the, the the better stat for me. They only did it on 54 plays. Yeah. I mean, that's Jeez. a that's an insane clip of yards per play, almost 10. I mean, yeah. yeah. So the, the biggest thing, I think, is that you couldn't halt the run game. If you hauled Aaron Jones and make Jordan Love have to make plays, put pressure on him, maybe it's a different result. But since you can't, Jordan Love says, all right, well, I'm in the game now. And he torched them all game. I think the bigger letdown is the defense. I completely agree. I mean, one, one thing – I mean, they were at home. They've been so good at home for the last two years. They hadn't lost 16 straight. They've won 16 straight home games going into Sunday and then just lay a goose egg out there on defense. I mean, like y'all have been hitting on, this defense has been flying around all year. Deron Bland set like an NFL record for pick sixes this year, for God's sake. Uh, <laughs> and just to get torched by a wide receiver core of just like first and second year players is absolutely ridiculous when you've got guys like Bland out there. you got Gilmore back there who's – uh, been a stud back there for so long, <laughs> led by Jordan Love, a young guy, first-year starter. And then, again, like 
Aaron Jones, three touchdowns. I mean, if, I know that's been the team that he pops off against, but, I mean, surely you have an answer somewhere. But, I mean, God, you can't really put it on the offense when you put up 32 points even at home. But, God, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so it uh, it kind of goes against the question I asked, but both. I mean, let's start offensively here. Uh, CeeDee Lamb and Dak Prescott, the best connection in the NFL, in my opinion, was totally out of sync for half the game. Um, looked like both those guys did not realize they were in a playoff game in a winner go home situation. Um, you know, banter after each play, kind of, they look out of sorts. And they kind of figured it out late, like, I guess on that last drive of the second half. But you can't show up in the, in the last drive of a, of a first half, excuse me, first half, I should say. You can't show up in the first half in the last drive of a playoff game. Um, also, I, I thought Prescott was a little bit rattled um, by the, the way the Packers were covering. Um, look, they ran too high, um, and a lot of times this year the Cowboys have struggled against that. I, I watched it against the Panthers um, back in November when I went to that game. They did too high, and the, the, the Cowboys didn't have any answers for a whole half. Now they were able to get some turnovers defensively and got points out of that. But um, Prescott also, I thought the biggest moment of the game was the pick six. And he literally eyed down C.D. Lamb the whole time through it and as a pick six. Like It was just so so amateur. And that was that was huge. Obviously, they put up 32 points, and Prescott had like 400 yards. But that's because they were, you know, playing you know hail marys and four verticals every play. Um, but the defensive side of the ball, I thought, was just a little bit more ridiculous. I guess will be the phrase. Um, it was it was terrible. And the thing they've been so good at this year was pressure. They they pressure on 53 percent of pass plays, and that's their that's their bread and butter. And when they pressured Jordan Love, they only got four pressures on him on dropbacks. Love went 4-4 four of four for 114 yards and a touchdown. So you're sending the pressure, and it's not even working. Uh, so I, I thought it was a total collapse, and I'm really surprised they're holding on to McCarthy. Um, it, it, just, it was a huge letdown. I thought this was the best Cowboys team they've had, uh, at least in the last five years. And if they were going to do it, the path they had this year, two games at home, you got to win one, likely in San Francisco. This was your route. And they couldn't do it against a first-year starter. And now that raises the question, Dak Prescott, 2-5 and five in playoff games. Is Prescott good enough to get the Cowboys where they want to be? Because they had the best opportunity they've had this season, and they still couldn't get it done. Real quick. I still feel like he is, um, but, and it comes with a big caveat, he's got to fix the turnover problem. How many times did we talk about that? That buried them in the first half big time. Yeah. I mean, you, you look up, all of a sudden you've thrown two picks, Green Bay's offense is rolling, you're out of sync, and you're down by almost 30 points on your home field. It, you know, if he doesn't turn the ball over, perhaps the defense, you know, they don't have to deal with a short field. Maybe they're able to get a couple stops, but I mean, they were just never in the game because the offense had nothing. And it yeah. starts with Dak. And if he can't figure out the turnovers, he's never going to get them where they want to be because they were big time turnovers in that game on uh, Sunday. Jason. Yeah. Uh, I think when you take into account just the talent that's on that roster, top to bottom, whether it be skill positions, O line. I mean, you have one of the best defenses in the league thrown thrown to you as well. I mean, this should be an NFC Championship game team or bust. Uh, felt like over like the last two or three years at this point. Uh, instead, they come up short thanks to, uh, again, a defensive collapse, uh, two picks, and, you know, an offense that somehow forgets that they score nearly 40 points a game at home. Uh, just 
throw that away in the playoffs until the last quarter where you put up 16. So, uh, you know, I really wouldn't blame them if they tried to find a new franchise guy, see what they could do uh, trade-wise before the draft. Yeah, I got my uh, my Cowboys friend I was talking about earlier. He's tuning in. He's uh, he's fired up about um, how, how bad they performed as well. Um, I, I think with, with Prescott is, I think over the last – three seasons in these playoff games now he had a really good performance last year at, at Tampa Bay he was incredible um, but last year against the 49ers he cramped up and uh, ultimately they couldn't get the ball moving offensively when the defense was doing their job in this game the defense was not doing their job for the for the Cowboys uh, but even when the even when the Cowboys were trying to get back into the game get a second chance or second wind um, the first interception was just, I guess, a little behind him. wasn't necessarily his fault, but the the CD Lamb pick six, oh. uh, that was the worst one. Burden. I thought that's what kicked him in the nuts and ultimately lost that game. Those plays cannot happen, and I know it's a team sport, and I know he did not allow 48 points, um, but you also can't have costly turnovers in those moments where, you know, if those drives don't result in interceptions, you know, that could result in points and, and keep him in the game. So, uh, over the last couple seasons, I, I think Prescott, in a sense, has proved that he can get you to those games, but I don't know if he can win in those big spots. Um, it, so it, it's it's still up in the air for me. I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of deal they'll give him. I, I'm sure they will re-sign him and give him a lucrative contract, but um, I, right now I don't know if he's able to get you to where you want to be, even though he's able to uh, get you close enough to where you want to be. All right, when we come back, we'll give our best bets for the night. Back here on overtime for the last segment of our number one, and it is time for our best bets of the night. And I'll begin with my two, both in college basketball. We've had a pretty good week um, with all my picks. I always give them out at the Patifax on Twitter. So if you want to get ahead of the game, I post them every day as well on there. Um, but first, I've got Illinois minus two and a half, a good bounce back spot for them after a tough loss at home on Saturday playing a Michigan team that just got their best win of the season against Ohio State on Martin Luther King Day. Um, this is a good bounce back, bounce back spot for Illinois, and I think Michigan's been a little bit overinflated with the win uh, against Ohio State. So Illinois minus 2.5, I think their defense and their length will really come big against a Michigan team that can really struggle scoring the ball in certain stretches. Um, my next one is Stanford minus 3. Now this is a good spot for them. Back at home, uh, I've bet on them a couple of times uh, over the past couple of weeks, but anytime you see these these lines that kind of jump out to you, it's a home team against a team that just got a win a, a previously in the weekend. Um, I, I like Stanford here at this spot, minus three. Angel Reese has got to watch out for, really reliable. Um, they've got some good guard play. This return, their uh, starting point guard who missed uh, a little bit of time last week. He's back tonight. I expect Stanford to cover the minus three. So Illinois minus two and a half, Stanford minus three, my best bets. Well, I'm going to echo you. Uh, Illinois minus two and a half. I had that one. Uh, I think that's probably a pretty easy one. Michigan, yeah, you beat Ohio State, but this is a team that's lost to uh, you know McNeese State a couple weeks back, Long Beach State earlier in the year. I don't think they're that good a unit. Illinois is in a good spot for a reset, and that's a pretty good number to get them at, two, two and a half as yeah. well on the road as they look to, to bounce back and reset. My second one, I'm going to the NBA uh, off the news of the trade uh, that happened here over the over the past yes. about 48 hours. Uh, I got Bulls minus two and a half at Toronto. 
Toronto is selling. Uh, they're clearly not going to really go anywhere this season. That You get some draft picks out of that, but Bruce Brown still day-to-day with an injury, so he may not even play. You don't have the production of Siakam anymore. The Bulls, at, again, two and a half. Great number to get them at on the road in Toronto as they look to continue a good season. Yeah, I think we all hit the same one. Illinois, minus two and a half at Michigan. Caught that one at minus 105 earlier, so jumped on that. You know, without Hunter Dickinson, this team is kind of lost. I mean, they thankfully, or I guess not thankfully, but finally ended their five-game skid uh, with a win over Ohio State. But, I mean, this Illinois squad is no joke. Uh, I think they bounced back after a tough loss at home against Maryland uh, this past Sunday. Uh, going to the NBA, I'm going to take the Timberwolves. This is a kind of a weird line for me, but you know something just itched that itch earlier. Minus 12 and a half against the Grizzlies. Uh, you know the Grizzlies played great against the a healthy Warriors team with such a banged up lineup. Uh, finally getting back Jaron Jackson Jr. and uh, Santi Aldama, but. This T-Wolves team is different. I mean, they went into Memphis a couple weeks ago and beat them by a good 25 or so. So don't really see them struggling too much. I think they can get it by 13-plus tonight. Yeah, uh, that Timberwolves team uh, is very good. Done a really good job this season facing a Grizzlies team that has spent more time at Campbell Clinic than they have on the court this year. Uh, Too many uh, very, very uh, brutal injuries. Uh, Desmond Bain, John Morant, I mean, the list goes on. Um, so, yeah, a good spot for the T-Wolves there. So, our best bets, Illinois minus 2.5 around the board. Um, I also had Stanford at minus 3 against Washington State. Good bounce-back spot for Stanford at home. Uh, T-Wolves minus 12.5 for Jace and Bulls minus 2.5 for Dawson. Those are our best bets of the night. All right, a little bit of time before we hop into the next hour. Um, let's see here. Let's uh, let's talk briefly about Mike McCarthy being Rain, uh, retained again for the Cowboys. Uh, I know we just spent a, a fair amount of time on them in that last uh, segment, but I was very surprised they decided to stay with McCarthy, especially considering um, how big of a fall from grace that game was and all the the hype and anticipation for this season, for this team going forward with the playoff path they had. Um, I, I think it was a huge letdown. I'm really surprised after McCarthy's been there for now four years, you've had uh, 12-win seasons across the board, but when it's playoff time, they can't get it done. Um, and I'm very surprised with how you know controlling and how in charge Jerry Jones is, and you know his time is is coming up as well. He wants to win, and I don't know if McCarthy's that guy. Um, I, I think they would have been much better off at least fielding the field. Um, of Jim Harbaugh or Bill Belichick looking into those guys or even a Ben Johnson, um, something new, something fresh. And I, I don't know if McCarthy's the guy. Uh, what was you guys' reactions to him uh, being retained? How many chances are you going to give him at yeah. this point? And this is the for sure second straight year. I thought they were going to make a deep run in the postseason this year, more sure than last year. You know, last year, very good squad. I thought for sure they were going to go on the road to Tampa Bay and win. They don't. This year, you know, this is probably your easiest opportunity to get to that NFC Championship game. And then even if you can win that game, a couple of AFC teams on a down year, maybe maybe you win, go over the mountaintop this year. I mean, how many more chances does the guy get at this point to win? I just don't know how much longer you can keep on with him. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the short leash somehow keeps extending for McCarthy. I mean, like you said, we've been seeing almost these mirror-esque seasons these last few years where – you know, you tear up the regular season, you're at like 11-plus, 12-plus wins every year, and you really drop the ball in a playoff game, which, you know, most times 
you should be in a position to win uh, by a good margin, especially with the the talent and depth that you have on both sides of the ball. Uh, so it's pretty appalling that uh, Jerry's going to be still sticking with McCarthy at this point. Uh, I think you know a reset would not be a bad thing. Get some younger, fresh faces in there. Uh, maybe take a chance on a guy. See what he can bring in. See what he can change. But uh, for right now. I don't think that's the best decision he could make. I don't know. Yeah. All right, well, we'll talk more on the next hour. Stay right here on Overtime.